it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. This week, an oak-smoked Polish wheat beer, as I'm joined by Rocky Ridge founder and managing director Hamish Coates and head brewer Ross Turlick. Now, we spoke to Hamish and his colleague Ricky Watt back in April after the brewery won a major sustainability award, and you should definitely go back and listen to that conversation. And we normally wouldn't revisit a brewery so soon, but at the recent Perth Royal Beer Show Awards, Rocky Ridge was named Champion Large Brewery, which is a significant achievement, but the brewery also took home the trophy for Champion Beer for uh, Gridziskia. Even if you have heard of the style, few people have tasted it, including myself, until a post-awards ceremony, and it's a style that raised so many questions, both about the style itself, but then also about the brewery that made it, that we felt that it was worth a return to Rocky Ridge to find out a little bit more, including to meet the brewer that made it. So, this is my conversation with Hamish Coates again, and Ross Turlick for the first time. Hamish Coates, Ross Turlick, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Good beer. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Well, Hamish, we recently uh, spoke to to you about uh, your sustainability um, credentials because you'd won a major award, and we're back speaking to you both because at the recent Perth Royal Beer Awards, Rocky Ridge, you know, I think they like to say scoop the pool. You won the champion beer and champion large brewery. Congratulations. Cheers. Very happy with the results for the long time. Yeah. So, Hamish, for a brewery, what does it mean to win, you know, that level of award? I mean, gold medals are always nice to, to benchmark your beers, I'd imagine, but to actually come out as the champion large brewery and then brewer of the champion beer, what does that mean in a business sense to you? It's a huge reward for the team. I mean, honestly, they've, they've put a huge amount of time, energy and effort in over the last 12 months to really up the game and consistency for our beers across the board. So, I mean, obviously, it's it's great, great reward to have taken out the the champion beer and, and to have won a couple of trophies for specific beers, but also just the general consistency across the board for all of our beers and getting recognised for that was was fantastic. Um, I think it's, it's obviously a... A huge uh, feather for Ross's cap as well as head brewer, and and shows just how uh, how awesome some of the beers and, and particularly some of the limited releases that we're doing are that are coming out at the moment. Um, from a business sense, of, yeah, it's a it's a I guess it's a hard one to quantify. I mean, a couple of the beers that we won trophies for, uh, Born Under Punchins and the Grzyski, aren't aren't actually so much commercially available, unfortunately. Um, so the Grzyski's a tap house release. We've just put another batch of it down to, to continue that at the tap house. But um, same thing with Born Under Punchins. It was a barrel-aged sour beer project. So there was only only two punchins of it in existence. So it's only about uh, 800 bottles that we actually made. And most of that, again, is just an in-house beer. So it's um, it, it's it's great. It's awesome for the team. It's awesome for everyone involved. But it's also, I guess, um, we... we uh, the sales guys were like, awesome, we can sell that beer. It's like, no, you can't. <laughs> we don't have Which is an interesting challenge, both from a brewer and uh, a business point of view, because you've won a very significant trophy, but then, and I would imagine that's what the retailers are picking up the phone saying, hey, we want this champion beer because everyone's talking about it. Is it a 
business positive or a business negative in in, in that case when you don't actually have a beer that you can uh, sell? Oh, the, the noise around it's great. I mean, honestly, it's it's been fantastic for the reps, everybody out on the road and, and everybody here in the brewery. I mean, everyone's got a smile on their face and that little bit of an extra spring in their step as well, um, which is great. Um, similar to the, the sustainability award, it's it's awesome for the team internally and it's awesome for the culture. It really lifts everyone's spirits. And I guess it's that little bit of recognition for all of the effort that everyone's put in, um, again, across the board. Um, so in a business sense, it's it's fantastic for internal morale. It, it may have helped with sales a little bit, but I don't think it's a huge spike by any means. Um, obviously, looking at the, the beer itself, the Grzyski is a great... Did I pronounce that right, Ross? No, nah, but I'll let you off. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah. The Grzyski is a fantastic beer um, in and of itself. As you said, it's 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 really quite light, delicate, and just beautifully balanced. It's a sort of beer that I, I love to drink on a, on a warm summer's day, but at the same time, is it a commercially viable beer when no one knows how to pronounce it and no one um, can actually understand what exactly it is without trying it? Um, <laughs> um, Ross would have us believe it is, but I, I, I don't know. I say that about Doppelbock as well. So. <laughs> well, we are going to come to that, but I'm just fascinated. So how about then the champion uh, large brewery trophy? Um, you know, is that something that gets you recognition? Uh, I know that, you know, the week after the Gabs Awards, for example, when breweries do well in that, retailers want to get their beers and it really does bring them to attention. Do quality-focused um, awards such as the, the the Perth Royal Awards, do they get that same level of buzz and interest? There's definitely a, a few pluses to it. It's very helpful when you start in conversations, particularly in the multis. Um, with the independents, I think the independents have a better understanding of the quality of breweries anyway, and there's less noise. Yep. Uh, I, I guess there's a lot more competition, but there's less noise around. When you make good beers, you make good beers. Um, the big guys, on the other hand, almost need those awards or those trophies in order to get you listed in the first place or get the foot in the door and then it's up to the public to actually make their mind up about what beers they want to buy um, so i guess the way that we we've probably u- utilized it in the last few weeks is just around the conversations we have about ranging for the next six nine twelve months um, of, of our core beers so ross talking to you now about the now Grzyskia, is that how we're pronouncing it that's as close as us australians are going to get to it i think <laughs> <laughs> Without, you did have a working title for it. Yeah, we were thinking to go with um, "Can I buy a vowel?" Uh, but yeah, and I'm, I'm working out that there's actually a hell of a lot of vowels in there anyway. It didn't really work, and "Can I buy a consonant?" just doesn't really roll off the tongue quite so well. <laughs> I even got in trouble for calling it Polsky Pivo because I've used the wrong uh, the wrong ending to the word word Polsky in there. Uh, it should be Polsky Air Pivo apparently. Um, but <laughs> the, name, the name's done now. Well, so long as people know how to order it at a bar when it's available, I guess that's the key. Yeah, yeah. So, Russ, before we talk about the beer, let's go back and talk a little bit about you. Tell us a, a little bit about you know how you got into brewing. Uh, it annoys people a bit when I tell them, but I kind of fell into it. Uh, say I'm a plumber by trade and went to the UK for a couple of years and worked bars over there. When I came back home to Australia, uh, wanted to live down here in the southwest rather than up in the big smoke in Perth. Um, big smoke in inverted commas um, and yeah basically couldn't really find any any real work uh, in the plumbing industry so I ended up pouring beer at Kawarama uh, Brewing Company and just fell in love with beer there and moved my way from bartender to bar manager uh, and then into the brew house and then sort of just followed the bouncing ball along from there and fell into this career. 
Caramup's an interesting one because Jeremy is a very traditional brewer, isn't he? Very much so. I don't think he's had an American hop on site in the 10 or 11 years he's been open. So. <laughs> it might even be a little bit longer than that. I'm trying to think when I first went there, it was well before uh, Brews News started. So, you know, he's probably been around for 15 years. So that's a long time to not have, uh, you know, I wonder whether the Yakima Chief guys uh, even bother visiting him. <laughs> yeah, actually, you're right too, because it was 11 years ago I was working there and he'd already been operating for a few years. So, yeah, be, yeah 15 years. I think it was 2006 from memory that he started. So as a plumber and, you know, you're working the bar, what beers did you fall in love with? Or, you know, were you a Swan Lager drinker? You know, uh, the, yeah, the old... very, very much a, a Swanee D drinker as a young fella and, and Emu Bitter. Um, my, my first share house with my mates, we had a life-size cut up, cardboard cut out of Ken. Uh, <laughs> we walked in through the front door, uh, which is a bit of a surreal moment now, catching up for beers with Ken or uh, judging beers with him. Um, and uh, yeah, and yeah, it was. Uh, I should say that there's Ken Narrowsmith, yeah, yeah, yeah. who uh, was the face of the beer, yeah, very quite much literally so. the face. Yeah, but yeah, you know, I was very. I'm old enough that it was. I was when I went to pubs uh, and I and I was as an eight in Perth as an 18 year old. You know, you had two beers to choose from. It was super or mid, and it was, and that was it. Um, but then, yeah, sort of discovered by traveling the world, discovered you know English ales, uh, yeah, Hefeweizens and Kristallweizens in Germany and Belgian wits. And obviously doubles and triples and all the rest, and eventually made my way all the way across to Poland and Grzyskia. The, the the beers that you fell in love with, given that you were brewing at Karamup and you were uh, drinking, I'd imagine at Karamup where you're working there, were you getting the beers that you enjoyed? Like if if he wasn't using American hops, you know, did you have a love of the uh, the, the American IPA and the American pale ale and some of the you know modern craft styles? Ah, uh, well, back when I was working there on the bars. It was just as Hop Hog first came out. Um, so it was really just as people people in WA were starting to see the American-style beers. Um, so at that stage, I was still very much a lover of, uh, and still am, Pilsner, um, yeah, ESBs and even yeah, English IPAs, which had kind of disappeared off the face of the planet now. Um, and, yeah, it was just, uh, I remember trying Hop Hog for the first time. It's been blown away by, you know, the flavours and what was going on there. Um, but then, you know, it was also most of the American IPAs you could get at that stage were grey market coming into bottle shops here. Um, so it was at the stage when people thought crystal heavy oxidized IPA was actually how it was supposed to taste. Um, which thankfully we've learned now that it's not. <laughs> um, but yeah, so at that stage, I was still very much loving, you know, your, your English style beers, uh, and, and still do. Um, it was, hadn't really discovered the, world of mosaic and citra and even cascade centennial and channel it, it it's interesting you say that about the you know our perception of an american uh pale ale or an american ipa based on beers that have been sent to us really distorts our expectation of what they are and you know i, I think for a long time there were brewers who, who were trying to replicate a beer that didn't really exist because it was a beer that was essentially faulty through travel and distance um it, it, it's one of the things that fascinates me about beer is that, you know, I, I like to say that, you know, wine is a postcard from where the grapes were grown, where, whereas we should travel for the beer. Yeah, 100%. How, you know, how hard is it to to be a brewer and make a world of beer styles when it's very, very hard to, you know, try all of those beers in, in their proper environment? Well, I guess now that COVID's finished, we can travel again and go and try the beers there. Um 
would be my sort of first response. Uh, and then from that, I mean, you're also going to put, we can also, you're going to approximate as much as you can what that beer should be uh, through research and reading and hopefully being able to travel and try it yourself. But by the same token, I mean, I firmly believe that brewers should be putting their own spin on that beer as well. Um, and, you know, you sort of say, I'm basing it off this. And, I mean, imitation is the best form of flattery. But at the same stage, same time, I think you're better, you're better off rather than trying to recreate totally faithfully what somebody else has done, put your own spin on it and get it to, you know, put your mark on it and make it, this is the style, but this is how I really like it at the same time. And, and what should the consideration be to put your own spin on it? You know, what, what, what should you be looking at in taking a classic style and sort of making it your own? Is it, you know, the local conditions or the local ingredients or is it just putting your own little idiosyncratic stamp on it? A bit of both. I mean, for marketing spin, using local ingredients and local uh, and putting that on it. Uh, for realistic, what's going to sell in the local market as well is really going to have to be a big consideration because uh, you can you can make the best damn beer in the world if if you can't sell if you can't sell it and really business wise it's not a great beer to be brewing. Just stepping back to uh, you, your work as a plumber, what was it about beer that um, attracted you from your uh, initial trade? Um, the fact that I could get a job in it in the southwest originally. <laughs> uh, I, was, I mean, I was always a always a beer drinker. Probably started drinking beer far too young, um, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, just always really enjoyed it, uh, and the history of it was what really got me into it. To be honest, from the start, like you know, it goes back to the dawn of civilization, um, and it's what for the last thousand years, wines had a, held a lot better marketing than beer has, uh, which is really why wine's sort of taken its place taking the place as being like the premium drink that should be on dinner tables, um, which is unfair on beer because beer will match to a lot more foods than wine will. Um, so I think just sort of discovering that and really wanting to help sort of drive the fact that beer should be, a beer is a premium product and should be viewed as such. And there's just, you know, human civilization goes hand in hand with beer. Um, and I think the world needs to understand and appreciate that more. And I think, helping to drive that knowledge is a big driver for me as well. Which brings us to the Grzyskia, um, that that was the, the the champion beer. When did you first hear about that style? Um, not long after I married my wife. My wife's Polish. Um, so we that's how I started getting a lot more interested in, obviously, Poland and its history. Um, and funny enough, you go, you go to Poland and you, they've got Tesco and all the and little and all the other European shops there, and they've got Grzyskia sitting on the shelf. Um, it's not this like this up this really weird and out there beer style over there. Um, it did nearly die out for a while. It's been known as Polish Champagne in the past, and I'm also a big big fan of anything smoked. Uh, I've been vegan for the last two years, so the closest I can get to bacon bacon now is smoked beers. <laughs> um, <laughs> And yeah, it's uh, basically, yeah, married a Polish girl, started studying a lot more about Poland, uh, found this uh, style, Grzyskia, I thought it sounded really, really interesting, was just really keen to try to brew one, long story short. So so you travelled to Poland yeah. um, as, as part of yeah. your, your relationship? Yeah, so uh, basically pre-COVID, I was going, well, going, I was going over every second year, um, see the in-laws and spend a few weeks over there. Uh, and we'll also generally do little jaunts off to other parts of Europe while we're there. 
and just try different beer styles in the traditional settings, um, really, and try to bring that back here. And as I, as I said before, try to put our own spin on it here in Australia. To... Talk to me about the, the the Polish beer culture then, from an Australian's point of view. What what is the Polish beer culture? Uh, it's kind of changed, actually. So, I mean, the first time I went over to Poland was 10 years ago and craft beer was just starting to show up over there. Um, whereas you go now and, I mean, we went on a walking tour of Warsaw uh, like four, four, four and a half years ago now and went to six different pubs and drank craft beer all night and didn't double up on a beer a single time. Uh, and there was a whole heap of beers which I didn't touch. Uh, and, you know, they had they had US, they had... Uh, UK, there's plenty of Polish breweries over there now as well doing, you know, these uh, crafty sort of US-inspired um, beers as well. You know, you can get pastry sours, pastry stouts, hippers, as they call them there, or IPOs. Um, but, yeah, it's really the craft, craft beer has really firmly uh, taken hold over there now as well. And is it starting to supplant some of the traditional Polish styles? And, and I presume that uh, Grzyskia is one of a number of traditional styles. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're still same as here and, and in the States, I'm sure, as well. Craft beer is still only making up a small part of the market. Uh, so, you know, they, they have a lot of the sort of traditional Polish styles are similar to traditional Czech styles, really. Um, so you've got pale lager, dark lager, amber lager, uh, and the big Polish breweries will all do those sort of beers. Uh, obviously, you've got the Zivich as well, uh, which do the lager or the, and the Baltic Porter. That was oh, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so just say that again <laughs> for. Sorry. <laughs> uh, we put in Australia to be Zywayek. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah, Zivich, oh, no, okay. Zivich. Zivich. Now, Zivich. Zivich. So they're one of the largest breweries in Poland. And yeah, so obviously their lagers everywhere and their Baltic Porters everywhere too. They also do. I mean, in Poland, they do a range of IPAs, saisons, uh, wheat beers, wheat beers, which you don't see over here. But yeah, basically, craft beer is making inroads, uh, and their big guys are paying attention to it. I think even more so than what they are here. But I think also beer is a fairly small part of the market over there anyway. They do, as Hamish said, they do dr- still drink a lot of vodka and a lot of spirits, uh, and wine starting to make inroads there too. And is beer seen as a, uh, you know, like a table uh, drink, you know, like that you would sort of drink it as part of a meal or is it the, you know, something you would really only have as a, um, you know, something at a pub or a um, cellar? Uh, I think it's more something to have in the pub um, or like at home or sort of midweek, more if they're having, if you're having like uh, parties or like family gatherings, that's when the vodka comes out still. <laughs> Okay, so you're exposed to the um, Polish beer culture, and, and you became aware of the Grzyskia. What was the uh, thinking about making it back here? Just a, the only way I was ever going to have it here was to make it. <laughs> uh, it's I, I, as for a, for a brewing challenge. It's quite an interesting beer as well because it's 100 percent wheat, um, so you you haven't got any husk, whatever, or holes on the grains. So lauders can be an absolute nightmare. Uh, as in, so how did you get around that rice? A hell of a lot of oat hulls. Okay. Yeah. Generally, we we would have used rice. We have used rice hulls in the past, but uh, with the as we were talking earlier, the droughts have well and truly been broken. Um, but with the droughts that we've had, <laughs> it's been really hard to get a hold of rice hulls the last couple of years. But we managed to get a hold of uh, oat hulls instead. 
Odenholm's basically a waste product here as well. So there's there's plenty of them in the Yep. It's not a not such a big issue to try and get hold of. I was going to say from so from a from a paying for it point of view or a costing point of view, that would be a little bit more uh, positive. Yeah, yeah, they don't cost much at all, um, and for they they cost less than the amount of time they save you uh, in labour, certainly. Okay, so so it's one hundred percent wheat malt. Yep. The version that I had that you made, the the champion one, it did have a smoke, but it was a very it wasn't like um, you know some of the Bamberg beers, so the, yep. the very very big bold smokiness. It was. Everything about it seemed to be so elegant and subtle. Yeah. So it's basically with your Bambergs, they're generally uh, smoked over beech wood. Uh, the, the, what the wheat for the Grzyskia is, uh, and I love saying this as well, is I can write basin malt. Uh, so it's basically <laughs> it's, oak smoke, it's wheat malt that's been smoked over oak rather than beech wood. Uh, so the oak, is, okay. the oak is a much more subtle uh, smokiness to it. Uh, but it is 100%, 100% oak smoked wheat that you use for the grist as well. Okay, so it's not like a percentage, it's not a small percentage. Uh, like some of the peated Scotch ales will only be 6 or 7% smoked malt. When Ross said he wanted to brew it, we were like, what the f is that? And really, like, that's going to happen. But it didn't taste bloody good. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I, I, I was going to say, you know, what, what is the process um, for, you know, Hamish, when the brewers got an idea you know are we in an environment where everything goes and the crazier the better in terms of you know marketing a beer or is there actually a process of going well sell me you know what the idea is with this bit of column a and column b like we like to be creative and we would like to use lots of different flavors fruits um, anything really that we can get our hands on but at the same time we do have to be mindful of what what people will actually accept. I mean, we've just had our second 16% beer of the year released, and and I think it's safe to say that 16% beers are not where the market's at. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, it's uh, they're all well and good. I mean, look, they're going to age gracefully. We're, we're not. It's it's not a huge problem in and of itself. Um, but yeah, we do have to be a little bit careful about what we release, when we release, it, and how many beers you release at once because. You know, there's a lot of noise on shelves at the moment and we've got to make sure that anything we do brew will stand out from that. Um, it's, yeah, I guess Ross is very, very commercially minded though and, and understands the that, you know, not everything's going to fly and hence the producer was only a little pilot batch or a thousand litre pilot batch. So we um, we were never in any danger of that not, not selling out, I guess. Um, but we are growing another batch of it now, which is cool. Yeah, um, this is also our little thousand litre batch because, yeah. again, we know that more won't sell. <laughs> really? So, so you don't think even with the uh, w w with the notoriety that the award um, ha has brought that it will, um, you know, probably scale a little bit more? No, it's an interesting one. We'll see how this second batch goes and we can always put another batch down if we decide that we need to. Um, I think we're really conscious of, of a beer like that being consumed relatively fresh. We don't want it to be sitting around as a, I forgive me, but shelf turd. Um, we don't want it sitting on shelves. That we're, and, and, you know, actually explaining to every single bottle shop, every single store, and then having to then, by extension, explain it to every single punter who walks in there before they make that purchase is quite difficult. Um, it, there's an education process required in order to, to do that. And I think Having it on tap, we can we can start that slowly, and you know if if it does take off and if it really picks up into spring, then we can look at growing more of it. But again, it's a we don't we don't want to 
do the beer a disservice by having it sitting there too long and then suddenly becoming a discount bargain bin beer and, and that just destroys it completely. So rather the other way around and, and take it slowly. Mm. Hopefully it does take off and, yeah. and we have a problem that we've got to work out how to make the ladder a lot faster than it actually is. Um, <laughs> and I was, I've been pushing to brew the beer for quite a while. Um, basically from when I first came across to Rocky Ridge three years ago, I told Hamish I wanted to brew it and he always had a little bit of smile. I was like, yeah, all right. <laughs> um, and then uh, I've got I've actually got to thank DJ over at Madden Culture for having the Rap Beer Festival because uh, that's actually what we brewed it for. Uh, okay. So the, re- the reason why the reason why I finally talked uh, Hamish and Ricky into letting me brew it was specifically for that festival, um, and we only kegged it and then won a gold medal at the Avers. And I told I told him told you we should have canned it, and Hamish, <laughs> I'll tell you what, if it wins a trophy, I'll let you can it. So guess what? <laughs> <laughs> so will you listen to him next time, Hamish? Yeah. No. <laughs> not, not if it's a doppelbock, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so let, let's jump back. So it's 100% um, wheat malt. I'm not going to try and pronounce the oak smoke uh, malt, but so it's 100% wheat malt. Um, what else? Tell, tell us a little bit more about the style. Um, yeah, so basically it's a, a top fermented ale. Um, you want it really nice, crisp, clean. Uh, despite being wheaty, uh, it should also be nice and bright. Uh, it's not a hazy beer at all. Um, there's been some confusion over the style in the past. People think it should be sour. It should definitely not be sour. It's just a really light, easy drinking crusher. Um, traditionally, the style is fairly low ABV as well, which we've stuck with at the sort of 4.5% range. Uh, in Poland, you'll see them down around 25 to 3% even. Okay. So it's, it's a summer drink, basically. Yeah, really should have good head retention, good foam formation, obviously from all the protein that's in there. Uh, the other issue, a lot of people will equate a wheat beer with a Hefeweizen or a wit, um, and think it should have, you know, your banana or your clove or your citrus notes, which obviously with the Hefeweizen, it's coming from your yeast strain, as with the wit, uh, Belgian wit as well. But obviously the wit will also add uh, coriander and citrus peel in there, whereas... This being uh, made from wheat and wheat being the main ingredient in bread, it should just have a real breadiness to it. Uh, the yeast is just clean character. Um, we did just use USO5, um, but traditionally if you were to use like a cold yeast or something like that, it would also work very well for it. Well, we'll say I caught up with Brandon Virus um, for the first time in a while when I was over there and he was raving about it before the uh, awards had even been announced, so he'd gotten to judge it. So it's a style that you know it really has people talking, um, and even very very um, seasoned uh, beer judges hadn't tried one. So, did you brew it true to style? Because you, you did say a little bit earlier that um, we, we should put our own little twist on 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 things that we're brewing. Mostly true to style. Um, the difference was we gave it. We used Australian hops, um, so hopped it a little bit more heavily than you would than a standard Grizzly gear would be. Still. By today's standards, it wasn't heavily hopped at all and wasn't dry hopped. No. Um, but we just used uh, Aussie Melba, uh, whereas traditionally you would have used, they would have used SARS or uh, another uh, Polish style of hop. Okay, because I, I have actually read it described as uh, it, it's like a smoky pilsner, um, one American brewer of Polish descent has described it as, which uh, it didn't really come across. It had that wonderful... Um, rich malt character without being cloying or overwhelming like it was certainly not as crisp and clean as a pilsner but it had just had so much you know nuance and subtlety to it yeah 
I think it's hard too because it's such an old style. And uh, I mean, obviously, with not obviously, but with the name Grzyskia comes from the fact that it's, it's originally brewed in the uh, Polish, uh, Polish region of Grzysk. Um, it's also known as Gratza in Germany because yep. when the Germans invaded Poland, uh, they changed the name of Grzysk to Graz. So, <laughs> um, so, yeah, but there is a lot of interpretations out there. I, I have seen in the US people who've brewed it, they've done like a 50-50 wheat and barley mixture. Uh, rather okay. than being 100% wheat. Um, I can understand doing the 50-50 because the water would be a hell of a lot easier. Um, but for me, the whole, a big part of the fun and challenge of it is that 100% wheat malt. And the fact that I'm also now a head brewer, so I don't have to clean out the water ton. <laughs> <laughs> These things roll downhill. Yeah. <laughs> the, the old management tree. In terms of food pairing, what would, you know, if, if you're in Poland, is it a beer that would just be consumed a, a, as a beer or is it something that would pair with food? Uh, I think basically consumed as a beer, but obviously with the smokiness of it, it's going to go well with uh, smoked cheese, smoked meats, uh, pickles, and obviously they have a lot of speed, a lot of smoked uh, condiments over there in Poland as well. Um, actually, I do a smoked a smoked uh, sheep cheese, which is absolutely amazing. Um, well, it would have been if I wasn't vegan anymore. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and go well with pickles as well. And also being so light and bright, it's really it just it'll go well with a whole heap of foods. Uh, white white meats as well. Obviously, the Polish are very big for their pork. Um, yeah. So it'd pair very very well with pork. That's that's what I was thinking. I was almost thinking that you don't need to smoke in the food because yeah. you you do have that smokiness coming through and a range of cheeses and even something. Um, you know, I didn't get the chance to try it with anything, but I was even thinking oysters uh, to add that little bit of smokiness to an oyster or something yeah. as well. Yeah, but really uh, well. yeah, so uh, which again is as somebody who loves hosting beer events and introducing people to styles you come across a beer like this that you just want to have on tap. So whenever you want to surprise and delight somebody who thinks that beer is only the mainstream lagers, you can pull out a beer like that and introduce them to a flavour that they've never experienced and then pair it with food. Is that a challenge for beer when you've got a, you know, Hamish talked about it, you didn't want it to be a shelf turd, but does that deny beer drinkers, you know, if they do find a favourite, that ability to just go, go in, you know, tap into it whenever they want, the, the, the way that you can, for example, a wine. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's, uh, at, as, as we sort of said, you know, and you said yourself, wine's a postcard from where it's from. Um, so, but, but, you know, it, it, it can age well and can, and it can again, yeah. be, for want of a better term, a, sh- a shelf turd, whereas beer really wants to be fresh. Or, I mean, as the Germans say, beer should only be drunk in the shadow of the brewery, yep. um, which is easy when every town's got a brewery. Um, which we're getting close to in Australia, which is great. Um, but yeah, it's one of those really hard things. Like it'd be great, it'd be great if that style was well known enough, and we could just have it on tap all the time. Um, I'd be quite happy to have it on tap year round at the uh, tap house. Yeah. Um, so you know, if people want to try it, come to Bustleton Rocky Ridge. Well, do, will you guarantee you'll have it on? Or I guess is my question. I'll have it on for a few months now, at least. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I've used up pretty much all of the oak smoked weed in Australia at the moment. Uh, as you can probably guess, it's not particularly, it doesn't get ordered to be used a lot. 
Um, <laughs> but, but I've already been talking to Fabian. I've been telling you rep about getting that possibility of getting some more across on the next shipment from Germany. Um, okay. Basically, the the only maltster that makes the malt at the moment is Weyermann in uh, in Bamberg in Germany. Yep. It'd be great if our local maltsters could do it as well, but we also don't have a lot of oak wood in Australia as much as that. There's oak growing everywhere in Germany, obviously. Um, hint, hint, nudge, nudge to any local maltsters who are listening as well. Yeah, can you hear me, Stu? <laughs> Well, I was going to say, Stu's probably out on his tractor listening to this. Uh, he, he has contacted us a couple of times, uh, making those uh, long days of uh, ploughing his field um, a little bit bearable. Um, so with the Grzyskia down, um, are there any other Polish styles that uh, you, you're taking to Hamish, um, Ross? Um, well, we've got a Baltic Porter down at the moment as well. Uh, so okay. obviously, I mean, Baltic isn't tr- primarily... Uh, Polish, but the Zivich Baltic Porter is probably the best known Baltic Porter, particularly in Australia, being as it's carried in Uncle Dan's. Um, but yeah, I mean, as I said, they don't really have that many traditional Polish styles outside of the Grzyskia, which was a big part of the reason why I brewed it. Um, other yep. than that, you know, it's yeah, your Pilsners or your dark, your dark lagers and dark amber lagers. And don't worry, I'm going to Hamish all the time wanting to brew them anyway. <laughs> So what what else have you got in development then? If if uh, you've exhausted your Polish songbook, uh, is there anywhere else that you want to go um, style wise? Um, really playing around more with uh, wild with uh, wild bugs and wild ferments, um, which is a big thing which we really okay. be pushing here. Uh, it'd be cool also looking into doing like some Finnish sati, um, which uh, is using more sort of spruce and juniper. Uh, we've talked for ages about building a cool ship uh, here at the brewery. Yep. Uh, my suggestion was built, set it up so we can put it in a tractor and take it out to different paddocks um, so we can do like actual like paddock blends from around the farm. Yep. Um, craft lager is probably the yeah, other one. Really pushing craft lager at the moment because finally the market's turned to the point where we're actually able to, to move those and they don't just sit around. I mean, we, we brought Pilsner into our core range, which against better advice from our marketing and sales team because we, we love it and we wanted it to be there all the time. So, you know, it's, it's more about working out what we want and what we want to drink and then and continuing to brew that. But, yeah, Craft Lager, I think, is a big one for us moving forward. I mean, we did a few last year and they, they went really well, drinkability being the absolute key to them all and, I guess, exploring different different regions for lagers as well, particularly European ones. We're getting buzz around cold IPA now, which is, but you know, if you're doing it properly, According to the guys on stage, you're using a lager yeast for that anyway. Um, so there's the argument that yep. you know, it's, it's that's where you're getting the argument: is it, is it a hoppy pilsner? Is it an IPL? Is it a cold IPA? <laughs> uh, it's a what? What move was the brewer in when he wrote the recipe? Yeah. <laughs> now I'm fascinated um, in the, the fact that lagers are coming back, and if you've got the Grzyskia and a good pilsner on, I'll definitely come over to Bustleton uh, as soon as I can because uh, you're, you're singing uh, my song. But we're get- on our side for as well. Yeah, on side for, and we've also got a, we've also got a food or age pilsner on side for at the cap house at the moment too. Well, okay, I'm, I'm gonna have to book my flight uh, and get back <laughs> uh, real quick, but. It was interesting being old enough to remember the craft beer mini boom of the very late 80s, early 1990s, where the American um, hoppy, hop driven styles weren't in existence. So most of the craft breweries were 
people who had visited Europe, fallen in love with classic European styles and, you know, good ales and good lagers and coming back. But essentially, the beers weren't exciting enough to be different from what people knew to some extent. And then the, the premium lager was essentially going head to head with the scale of the, the big brewers. It's interesting to see that wheel has turned now. And so small brewers can start to put out, you know, for want of a better phrase, a mainstream oriented beer at a higher price point really than the, the, the big brewers can do, but still succeed. What is the um, attraction, Hamish, that consumers are willing to pay more for something that isn't drastically different from what they can get from the big brewers in the form of a lager? For me, I think they are quite different, to be honest. There's a lot more flavour in our yep. for instance, than in a Swanee D, yeah, Swanee D or any 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 really mass produced beer. So, I think I think that there is definitely that side of things where they are more flavoursome. But there's also the fact that we have a story that is particularly here in WA fairly compelling because none of the big guys are in WA anymore. So, I, I guess it's it's that. WA particularly being very parochial and wanting to support local as much as possible and the fact that we in turn support local suppliers as well to produce these beers to the best of our ability. So I think it's that more than anything, it's it's the, the story that we're able to tell. It's the fact that people can come and have one over the wood at the at the tap house or at their local and, and enjoy something that is a locally made product rather than being from CUB or, or Lion where, again, they don't make anything in WA anymore. Which, which is yep. uh, becoming more widely known, uh, particularly as younger drinkers come through and they understand where where it's from. I think that's that's yeah, for mine anyway. That's why I think why I think that's become more popular. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting because I you know I was quite struck at the Australian International Beer Awards that Peroni, you know, won champion Pilsner um, after Rattenhund last year. That was a very craft. Pilsner um, took out the trophy, yep. um, and, and that fascinates me. So, uh, you know, in a blind tasting, you know, Peroni that would probably be dismissed as not really Pilsner-ish um, was able to take out that trophy. But then, you, as you say, you bring in the local element, which is a, a very important part of your story. Yeah, and I guess drinkability overall as well. A lot of people are getting somewhat palate fatigued with the number of different hazies, double IPAs, big fruit bombs, big sours, everything else that's going on. It's nice just to have something clean and fresh. Half a cow in every beer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the listeners um, can't see me, but I've got my hand up because I'm certainly in that uh, class as well. Yeah. Um, I think we we all are here at the brewery. we, We love the beers we make and we love all of the different styles and there's always a challenge and there's complexity in everything we do, but... At the same time, you know, on a on a any day, what do you go for in the fridge at the end of work? It's for me. It's a, I go for a pilsner or I go for a mid strength, to be honest, um, because ultimately yeah. I'm not going to drink a eight and a half percent double IPA on a nightly basis. Um, you just you, you can't you can't just it's, every second night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I and those nights are fewer and fewer for me. I, I still love them. I still love yeah. them when I have them, but they're sometimes foods. Yeah, hundred percent. It's uh, definitely they're special occasion treats, or they're you know you're celebrating something, or you're, you're catching up with mates. But ultimately, I think that general trend towards drinkability is one that we're following closely. And again, that comes down to us, well, what we want to drink here at the brewery more than anything else. I think it's it's what do we want to drink, and you know we keep an eye on on everything else everyone's doing. But really, I'm I'm reaching for a pills nine times out of ten. <laughs> 
Well, having having just been to Perth, I need to get back because I didn't uh, get to spend nearly enough time, particularly down uh, your part of the world, um, not having been to the brewery. So uh, given the beers that you're talking about, uh, you, you're going to be number one on my uh, destination guide. So uh, Ross Turlick, Hamish Coates, thank you very much. Congratulations on your showing at the Perth Royal Beer Awards. Yep. Um, Thanks, Matt. Cheers. Um, congratulations and uh, congratulations, Ross, for the uh, champion Grudziskia. Thanks very much, Matt. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, people, people buy enough that we can keep on making it and get a wider distro on it and hand water can take over the world. <laughs> How did your wife feel about it, uh, Ross? Yeah, she really she loved it. Uh, really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, we've got very good friends here in Bustleton as well who uh, the, the uh, married couple and the the, late, the girl's Polish and her husband is also Ross. So basically they went down to the South <laughs> straight away and got straight into it and Took them both home. Um, that absolutely loved it. So, got got the Polish seal of approval already. Proud in-laws back in uh, Poland. Yeah, yeah. Um, wanted wanted us to try to bring some over. Um, he- heading over there in <laughs> ten days. Yeah, not far. Yeah, a couple of weeks. Um, scary. So <laughs> you I'm, might be able to. I'm going to be spending a few weeks writing schedules, and I'll just schedule a lot of Grzyski to be brewed. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's uh, it, terrific. It was yeah, a great accolade both for uh, myself for getting the beer across the line, but really for the, really for the lads, the team uh, out on the brew deck, and just all, all everyone involved really has been absolutely nose to the grindstone for the last eighteen months, um, and just to get this out at the end, out of the other side of it, it's great for the whole team. It's awesome. Oh, wonderful. Oh, that's great news. Well, uh, Ross Hamish, thank you very much for joining us for this conversation about beer and congratulations on uh, such a great showing at the Perth Royal Beer Awards. Awesome. Thanks very much. Cheers, mate. Thanks. And that was Hamish Coates and Ross Turlick. And I think it's certainly worth a trip over there to try it if you can. And also that Pilsner. Now, if you're a listener, don't forget you can join the conversation on the best discussion group on the internet, the Radio Brews News Facebook group. That's where you can see articles that we want to share and discuss and also your thoughts about what we are seeing in the news as well. To join our Facebook group, just search for Radio Brews News and use the password Soapbox. If you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out by sponsoring the show. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcasting service, or you can just email us at producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts on our guests, the topics that we're covering, and the questions that we're asking. 